is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6. We are, what I really want to focus on is Biden's announcement this week. Not only that he announced to, that he wanted to run for president, but how he announced it, what he chose to focus on, the way he chose to couch that. I want to get into that. Uh, we did um, in the earlier segment last half hour uh i there was a tweet i highlighted binkley my producer here do you have that tweet read it to me yes this is from mon de will it says besides the measly tax cuts trump's policies are like obama's foreign and domestic or if obama had a third term it would be pretty indistinguishable from right now I think that that's a very provocative tweet. I was asking, what's Obama's legacy? What's Trump's legacy? And I know a lot of listeners probably think that's crazy to think that Obama and Trump might have similar legacies. But for if you think about the very big picture about ever-increasing welfare, warfare, super state, and even, I think, uh, doing the bidding of the globalists, what my father used to call the one-worlders, to increase surveillance, censorship. I think I called Obama the surveillance president. Trump is the censorship president, and they're both going to the same place. They're both going to centralized power. Now, maybe there are competing factions at the top as who's going to take the reins of that power, and maybe one faction is willing to have a looser hold on the reins just to get more buy-in. That is possible. Uh, I defer sometimes, or I respect Tariq's opinion, an earlier caller, so he does think there are two factions up there. I'm not so sure, but there have to be always competing interests. People do want more for themselves, but I, I feel like all the big players and the parties, all the elected people in Washington, kind of, uh, nobody's real, well, some people are, Amash and Massey, are working against it. But most people, I think, are feeding the beast of centralization, whether it's at the top federally or at the top in a one-world sense. Uh, but one of the levers they use, of course, is this uh, is the conflict among us, whether it's left or right, red or blue, if it's uh, racial or sexual orientation or whatever it is that they try to use to divide us while, so we don't look at what's going on up there. I think Biden's announcement plays into that wholeheartedly. And I also think the next caller, Byron, uh, has something that also plays into it. Byron, you are on with Monica. Hi, Monica. Uh, glad to uh, glad to be on the air finally. Uh, a couple things, uh, if I could, I wanted to touch on real briefly. One, in terms of uh, Obama's legacy, um, you know, I, I think, I feel that he tried to manufacture his legacy in a lot of ways, and it, it reeked of desperation. If you look at the uh, the Iran deal or even the way that the ACA got pushed through, it just seemed like he was just trying to manufacture something that he would be remembered uh, for that wasn't very effective. So that's that's kind of how I think about when I think back on the Obama presidency. Yeah, that's I do, interesting. I do, 
because there's I a lot of strong arming and there's also a lot of executive orders and that kind of thing exactly. that make yeah shoehorns it into this uh, image of a great achievement, but behind you know, but it's two dimensional, maybe not going to last. A- absolutely, and I and I absolutely agree that when you look at Republicans and Democrats, they are a lot more similar than they are different in the in the big picture. So I, I absolutely agree with that. The other thing that I wanted to touch on with you is uh, I love your website, by the way. I love the fact that you have a glossary that goes over a lot of the uh, recurring themes in your broadcast. And I wanted to make a suggestion of, <laughs> of a term that I've been using with my friends to add to your website. Yeah, I'm dying so, to have it because I think it's fun to crowdsource the glossary. So I, try, I feel like if, you, if there's a word for it, this, this is like an old thing. They hijack language. They change the meaning of words. But if there's a word for something, I'll say it to my kids. Like, I'll try to explain to them some principle of political manipulation. They're like, yeah, yeah, you're paranoid. And then I'll say they call it blah, blah, blah. And the kids are like, oh, really? I'm like, yeah, it's a thing. It's a thing because there's a word for it. (laughs) So anything that there's a thing and you have a word for it, bring it to me. So bring it to me, Byron. All right. Try this one on for size. Method activism. So let me let me define it. And I'll give you a couple examples. So the the act of embellishing or narrating what has transpired in an incident that was created or initiated and recorded by one of the parties in the incident or a bystander with the goal of furthering a political or ideological narrative by publishing the footage online. So you see all these videos where uh, where it goes up on YouTube and the person in the video says, hey, why don't you say to me what you said to me before I started recording when you said when you called me a blank or whatever it was. Yeah. And then obviously the big example is the, you know, the, the Starbucks videos when the people, these guys knew the cameras were, were rolling and they they tried to make it into uh into the narrative that it actually became so uh why don't you try that for size and and feel free to uh, to, yeah uh, that's great i love that that's (laughs) such a fantastic because it works on so many levels method activism because it is acting and and it's so uh manipulated and it's great to identify it as a technique and a tactic so that you can recognize it and you can laugh at it it diffuses it if you if you can Uh, call it out for what it is in a way that people just recognize immediately. Oh yeah, that's controlled opposition. That's a method activist. And I think it, it, it folds in completely with what we're going to turn to next. Thanks so much for calling Byron. You're good support. Uh, And uh, yeah, keep in touch. So, um, and anybody who wants to, you can go to my website, MonicaPerezShow.com, and email me this kind of submission or call in. Or if you tweet at Monica Perez Show, it's super fun. I'm, uh, I have such a huge glossary now, and just perusing it is really funny. It's just like, oh, that's the best. And then I usually have links, and you can see where it comes from, give examples of it. Although, after the WordPress purge, I lost so much of my media, like the videos and the pictures and everything i do have like the raw text and i'm very happy that it is being rebuilt but there there was some definitely some damage done but we're not giving up uh but this this idea of method activism i think plays into the charlottesville thing which was something a lot more sinister or whatever violent and damaging let's say damaging than than just acting Although in the long run, that kind of deception, that kind of falsehood to promote a policy agenda is very damaging, in my opinion, because the, we learn about 
the world, the problems, the good and bad in the world through our senses, through our observations. The older you get, the wiser you get because you have these experiences. And when uh, experience is deceitful, is manipulated, it's trying to get you to think the world is a different way from what it is. And then you're going to implement policies that do not solve the problems that you think you're trying to solve and must perforce have an ulterior motive. Because if if the thing they say they're trying to solve, they had to make up in the first place. Obviously, the thing they're really trying to do, they couldn't be honest about. So that goes back to Anna's call about deception being the underlying tactic in what she calls communism. But I think, but as she defined it, control by an elite. Uh, yes, I think that is correct. So the way uh, I want to get into this, the way Joe Biden announced his candidacy was a very kind of long, uh, I don't know if it was a video, I guess it was a video. A big part of it was this, a, a full minute of it was his playing into the Charlottesville idea. So I want to play clip one. I want you to think about it. And then what I want you to do is listen to what he's saying and decide if you think he's telling it straight do you really think his version of things is how it really happened if you do or you do not either way give me a call 404-872-0750 1-800-WSB-TALK uh, all right so rachel let us please hear clip one charlottesville is also home to a defining moment for this nation in the last few years it was there on August of 2017 we saw Klansmen and white supremacists and neo-Nazis come out in the open. Their crazed faces, illuminated by torches, veins bulging and bearing the fangs of racism, chanting the same anti-Semitic bile heard across Europe in the 30s. And they were met by a courageous group of Americans and a violent clash ensued and a brave young woman lost her life. And that's when we heard the words of the President of the United States that stunned the world and shocked the conscience of this nation. He said there were, quote, some very fine people on both sides. Very fine people on both sides? With those words, the President of the United States assigned a moral equivalence between those spreading hate and those with the courage to stand against it. So let that sink in. Let that sink in the imagery and the counter imagery. I want you to tell me what you think about Biden's assessment of it. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Uh, you can tweet me at Monica Perez Show, but I'd rather if you call. Then after this break, we're going to take a quick break, and then uh, we're going to dig into that. I'll play it again probably at the bottom of the hour. I want to play what Trump actually said, but I want to dig into, uh, into this Biden clip. I want you to, I want to hear your calls too. This is Monica Perez. Uh, we're back. It's Monica. I, um, thank you very much for that, uh, traffic update. I, so we're talking about what Biden said to announce his run and, uh, I'm going to play it again at the bottom of the hour, but it really paints a picture of Charlottesville that um, I think might be one-sided in its opinion. But Charlottesville is a very 
tricky subject. So I want to, uh, I have a very specific point I want to make at the bottom of the hour, but I wanted to know if you think that what Biden just said was correct. Uh, let me go to James. James and Monroe, you're on with Monica. Hello? Hey, James, you're on with Monica. Hey, uh, Monica, I'm actually Monroe. I'm, I'm sorry. Okay. Okay, but, sorry uh, about that. Go. I really think that uh, uh, Biden misinterpreted. Ah, James, James, you got to hold on. They've got more breaking news. Please. Don't- Monica Perez. Well, no one's going to top that. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. I am your libertarian voice on WSB, Saturdays from 3 to 6, in the home stretch, but still so much to cover. I had cut off James in the middle of his uh, comment, so I'm going back to James. Thank you so much for your patience. Okay, so the question was, when Biden made his announcement speech, he uh, really painted a picture, literally said, like, (laughs) fang-bearing clan members or neo-Nazis or whatever at Charlottesville, up against some, quote, courageous Americans and a violent clash ensued. So I want to talk about if you think his depiction of that event was accurate. So go ahead, James. Thank you. Thank you uh, again, Monica. I, I think he was I think he was totally wrong on that, because if you go back and you look at that, that was a permitted mod. That was a committed. I mean, they had a permit to demonstrate. And I think what the president was saying was that there were good people on both sides, on both sides of the argument. There were good people that was for the monument, in which I'm, I was for the monument. And Why? there were good people against Why you for the, the mon- monument. Why? I'm sorry? Why were you for the monument? Well, I'm a, of course, you probably know by now I am a black man. So if you take the monument down, we will never get any more monument. We will never take our place. You see, by them taking all of those monuments down, that means they're not going to put any more up. The last one we probably would get put up would be Martin the King. There will be no more. And I think that that was a stain on our history, even though it was bad. All of that was bad stuff. But that is how we got to be the country that we are. I want to tell you, James, I want to continue to hear what you have to say, but I want to tell you, I've given this a lot of thought and I have an insight that I I didn't know. I, you know, it's hard for me to put my finger on why I'm not in favor of removing such monuments. And this is my thinking that Robert E. Lee specifically had he was a man of his time in the context of his time he recognized uh-huh. the issue he he represents as we look back how people struggled with that issue and a more sophisticated complicated sense of nationhood loyalty a transitioning economy from what was inherently an immoral system to a better system and how that's affected and that affected and then i compare that would you keep up a uh statue of hitler and i wouldn't because hitler was dishonest and deceptive about the atrocities he was committing, which, if judged by his day, honestly, they would never have put statues up to him in the first place. So so if you and then if you go back and why do we need to look at history in context? And I look at the abortion issue. 
which when you read stuff about abortion, how like it really will impair progress if you don't have it. And these are not really human beings. I'm not even opining on that, but you can go back and read contemporary writings about slavery and colonialism and imperialism and indigenous peoples and find the same stuff. You're going to hold back progress. They're not really human. And you can either judge those people. If you think of your position on such issues today and you think someone will be looking back on me. And can I say that I am objectively right or wrong, that I am a victim of my time? I need to look at this in a broader context than just the here and now because history will judge me i think that having that judgment of history that perspective helps us understand that we will be held but to a higher standard and we should not fall for these political uh bs arguments in the real time you need to search your soul because saint peter's really going to be the judge or history or however you think of it so i i really have come down on that and then i'm not trying to talk your ear off but i noticed in today's in uh, this week's Wall Street Journal, one of them, in this very thing about Biden bid fuels debate over Obama legacy, which is one of the resources that I wanted to use for this conversation, I happened to stumble upon uh, Rep, uh, Representative Ro Khanna, from, a Democrat from California, said, uh, I would judge, they talk about Obama's policies, and some people think that he did not... Uh, forward the progressive movement enough and this guy said i would judge him very well in the context of his time and i would say are is that the standard we're using because if it is then we can go back and look at these monuments in the context of our time but that's not what people are calling for i'm sorry i just had to get that out because i really felt it was um an insight and and i want your reaction i want to hear the rest of what you had to say well yes and i and i understand your position but but going back i do i i I do think he misinterpreted what the president said. I think what he was saying again was there were two people on both sides of that argument. Yeah. But, but right. going back to, to Joe Biden, I really can't figure out why he got in the way because he is not really. But I'm 69 years old, so I remember his first run for president. I remember his second run for president, <laughs> and he didn't do well at either one of them. And so I don't understand really what he's trying to accomplish now. If he had really wanted to be president, he would have ran right after Obama's time was up. But right now, the only thing that he's running on is hate Trump, and he wants everybody to think he's going to be the adult in the room. Yeah. I think it's futile, and he's just out there to knock somebody else out of the race. Maybe. Or maybe he's taking a victory lap. That thought occurred to me. He can use the campaign money to travel around and be feted, being wined and dined. But now that you mentioned it, let's let us play what Trump actually said. Let's listen to what Trump actually said at the time. Uh, let's hear clip five, Rachel, if you don't mind. You had some very bad people in that group, but you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. You had people in that group, excuse me, excuse me, I saw the same pictures as you did. You had people in that group that were there to protest the taking down of, to them, a very, very important statue and the renaming of a park from Robert E. Lee to another name. Yeah, so he didn't, I mean, this narrative of the moral equivalence is, uh, I mean, Biden... Biden made more of a moral argument 
than than Trump did. And I, I Binkley has some like smoking gun stuff about Antifa at that event that I want to hear. And then I want to replay what Biden said about if these are the courageous Americans he was talking about. Let's hear from Binkley what Antifa, uh, how the police described Antifa. What is this document here, Binkley? This is an independent review of the 2017 protest in Charlottesville, Virginia, from this is on policefoundation.org. Okay. And and this is so. What? Okay, go ahead. Read it. One of the passages says law enforcement personnel immediately noticed Antifa's sophisticated level of organization. Lieutenant Hatter observed that Antifa coordinated with local activists, had logistics and medical support, and figured out the Klan's entrance location to the park. Listen, so the Klan, I I doubt they had to figure it out because there's plenty of evidence that the Klan has been... uh, infiltrated by the FBI, just like the like militia movements were around the Oklahoma City bombing time. Like there's a lot of uh, they they would have to even if they're in good faith acting, they infiltrate these organizations so that they can prevent them from doing bad things ostensibly. But in any case, they are highly infiltrated. They don't have to. You know, it's more likely that this was coordinated, I think, behind the scenes. Yeah, the you know, guy coordinated, the, not figured out. Right. The guy that got the permit, Kessler, voted for Obama in 2008. Keep reading. Lieutenant O'Donnell spoke with a street medic who revealed that she had protested at Standing Rock, South Dakota, for eight months uh, before arriving in Charlottesville. At 2.15, Antifa was spotted wearing gas mask, padding clothing, and body armor. Captain Shiflett recalled being surprised at the planning by some counter-protesters who brought organized medics, used walkie-talkies to share information, and wore helmets, full-body pads, gas masks, and shields. Lieutenant Duane observed counter-protesters actively monitoring scanners and other devices to track the movements and communication of the, of the police. Now, that's very interesting to me because you could look at the same, did they really come prepared like that because they thought their mere presence by innocently, non-violently standing there, they were going to, to need body armor against uh, these protesters? I don't know, but... It's a tell, this walkie-talkie thing following the movements of the police because of something that you've told us before, and you sent me like a flyer of it, that their their stated policy is antagonism towards the police, right? Yes. They're yeah, so, unity principles. Yeah, so this all is totally consistent with the stuff that you have brought to us before about Antifa and how they operate. They're lawless. They... Um, the reason perhaps the police were rec- uh, recorded as kind of taking a back seat here is that they were overwhelmed by what was happening around them because there was, as you mentioned, permitted activists there. Now, I can't, I don't want to get into that guy. That story is like kind of fishy and yeah. it fed into a dialectical kind of thing that a mainstream conspiracy theory, which I yeah, never yeah. trust. Yeah. So that you have people in the mainstream saying there was an agent provocateur, controlled opposition with a paper trail as long as your arm. To me, right. that's like an Easter egg that you're meant to be meant to be found. Um, so I don't want to get into who was on the right. I don't want to get into who sparked this because for all I know, they just did that to get this thing going. Yeah, yeah. And uh, But my point is 
that all this talk about Trump saying there's moral equivalence, of course there were good people on both sides and bad people on both sides. If there was one good person on both sides and one bad person on both sides, you, it's, you know, there had to have been or there would be no sympathy. Exactly. You know, it has to be ambiguous. It has to be something that you could interpret either way or they couldn't get adamant people to stand adamantly on their sides. So they have to make it so that you could interpret either side the way you want to. But oh, but Biden really, I think, threw down the gauntlet of moralizing when he said that these were just courageous Americans. And and the stuff about the fangs, that's pretty good. It, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap it up with a call after the break. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. Wow, that was intense. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's intense. I am going to give Bobby in Smyrna the last word. Hey, Bobby, you're on with Monica. Hey, I just want to talk about fiscal responsibility. You mentioned Biden and Trump. I don't think that one man is going to be able to uh, work with all the issues in the United States. I agree totally. And that's why I feel like we should keep the separation of powers. We should have the executive jammed into the executive to execute. And I, I believe that that really goes to the legacy of Obama and now being carried on by Trump is that when he couldn't get things done, like when Byron called earlier, he uh, and pointed out that these things were strong armed and shoehorned and put in by executive order. And now Trump kind of does the same thing. And and it just is going to get worse. I mean, I think it's bad that the Supreme Court is uh, allowed to kind of trump uh, states rights to nullify congressional overreach. But the executive branch also takes over legislative stuff. It's really it's it's getting unwieldy, I must say. So, um, Binkley, I feel I totally wanted to replay that Biden clip, but I don't think we have time. That's always happens. Should we carry this on to the podcast? I think we did that last week, and I thought it worked really well. Yeah, there's a lot to there's a lot about this subject that we could go into. Yes. So here we have. Uh, the this show we post on thepropreport.com on Wednesday mornings, commercial free. And on Thursday, we post our podcast, The Propaganda Report. And uh, so you can kind of get it back to back. So we should finish with this. There's a lot more of um, what Biden has to say and playing into this dialectic that we're going to get to. Then uh, I will be back uh, next Saturday, regular time, three to six. This is Monica Perez. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.